Hi, welcome to Back Talk. I'm dancing with my shoulders because it's the end of the year. <laughs> uh, That's a really great song, Amy. <laughs> welcome to Back Talk. This is a podcast with two feminist folks. And um, fun Back Talk fact uh, this is a whole year of Back Talk because we started this podcast at the beginning of the year. You're right. This is our one year. This is our last yeah. episode of the year yes. and our one year anniversary. Uh, I'll never forget that moment you came to my desk. And you kneeled because you're so tall. And you're <laughs> like, Amy, I'm thinking of doing a podcast where we just talk about pop culture, current events. And I said, brilliant. No, I didn't, I didn't use that word. Thanks voice. for saying yes, Amy. <laughs> no, it's been a pleasure. And, then, um, and I've learned so much, which that's like the theme of our show today. So um, it's a holiday. Learning. Right, it's right. learning. So we're doing a little holiday break um, from our normal format and we're just going to talk about like the things that we learned this year because I think it's often really helpful to reflect back on um, on how we've grown uh, so we're going to talk about like things that we've learned as feminists and uh, things that we've learned from like some of our favorite pop culture things yep and in case this is the first episode of the show you've ever listened to even though we have a whole year under our belts I'm Sarah Merrick I'm the online editor of Bitch Media and I'm Amy Lamb, the associate editor. So we're going to run through some things that we learned this year. And first off, we're going to talk about things we learned as feminists. And then we're going to talk about things we learned from pop culture. That's the plan. Yes. So one of the things that I've learned is that I guess this is meta, but learning is important, right? Uh, you, yes. you learned that learning yes. is important. And that like uh, to be like... Um, I don't know if responsible is the correct word, but, but to be like a good responsible feminist, like uh, we have to understand that like and be open to continually learning. And I think that one of the things that I've learned this year is um, to like really focus and work on my intersectional feminism. Like um, there's this amazing quote by a writer. Her name is Faviana Zodan, I believe. Um, it is, my feminism will be intersectional or it will be bullshit. Uh, and I see that quote online all right. the time. It's, it's like it's attributed to her. I oh, hope great. I said her name right. Yes. Um, and I think that like for me, it's like um, constantly learning. And I, and for me, learning is by listening. Um, and to like sometimes I just have to like stop talking or like like not be in my own head so much and like reading a lot and learn and like listening a lot. Um, and one of the things that I learned a lot from was the like the Black Lives Matter movement um, and how like black activists talked about like anti how anti-blackness works mm -hmm. in our culture and um, in so many institutional and structural ways and naming it. I think that's really important. Um, and, and I just want, I did want to shout out like the, the three women who were the original founders of the hashtag Alicia, Alicia, Alicia Garza, Opal Tometi and Patrice Collars who founded the hashtag and then like, you know, and then how it grew into like a big legitimate movement and how like they were able to bring light um, and attention to like the like the death of black people um, by you know uh, by police brutality and then also uh, making sure to to bring focus to especially like black women with like the say her name hashtag I think that like to be like a good responsible intersectional feminist uh, I feel like I, I have to educate myself about like things that like I don't face as a non-black person of color um, and to and, and to understand like how that can how I can use that to be a better feminist mm -hmm. that's really great yeah I think listening is the most important thing that 
I do and that anyone can do. Honestly. Yeah, because I think that a lot of times, like, you know, uh, in past episodes, we've talked about white feminism. Uh, white feminism is, is oftentimes like the consequence of not listening, mm-hmm. you know, and, and like and uh, and not and not being open to learning uh-huh. because like there's this there's this like stop to their under there's this like endpoint to their understanding of what feminism is and what feminism should look like and like not being receptive to growing yeah and there's like i mean so i'm white and there's lots of stuff that's just not on my radar because i don't deal with it every day and i didn't deal with it growing up and so i think it's important and i really really I'm so happy that I can work at a place like Bitch where people are, where I'm constantly learning and people are constantly telling me things about their experiences and their world. And uh, especially as somebody who's an editor and helping decide what gets published and what doesn't, it's super important, I think, to to try and continually recognize the stuff that's not on my radar and to listen to people who have different life experiences. I think that's a, that's a really good lesson to keep in mind all the time. Um, okay, so I guess that ties into my first lesson of things that I learned this year as a feminist is I guess I've been surprised as I've gotten older. I thought I thought when I was younger that as I got older, I'd maybe get more apathetic mm. or more stagnant. And instead, it's been the opposite. I've gotten more empathetic and more upset and more, like, invested in the world, you know? So I'm, I'm way more, like, politically active as well as, like, personally, ups- like, upset and engaged with other people and vulnerable than I was when I was 20 you know and I'm almost 30 now so for the past 10 years I've gotten I've gotten more empathetic not more apathetic and um one thing that I've really been like my heart has been breaking about this year in a in a in a profound way has been recognizing the real depths of transphobia within feminist communities and with bitch I'm the I mean I'm the person that reads all the comments that are left on bitch and on our Facebook page and on all our social media and that's kind of the biggest pushback we've gotten this year is from people who are self-identified feminists uh, being really transphobic and saying trans women aren't women. Why are you guys writing about them? Why why are you talking about transgender issues and talking about feminism? You shouldn't be doing this. And for all for each comment that we get like that, it just makes me be like, we're gonna publish so much more about transgender people. <laughs> like for every for every comment that says like, why are you writing about this? I'm like. All right, that's one more article we're going to write as soon as you tell us not to do this. It's it's super important to keep to keep pushing on that. And I guess I I think it's a little surprising because there's um in the last year we've seen a real outpouring of support uh for transgender ce- celebrities. So like, you know, there's been uh Caitlyn Jenner on the front page of of Vanity Fair, um lots of like love and support for Laverne Cox and Janet Mock. Um and that that's really great, but on I think that doesn't mean that transphobia has disappeared in any re- in any way, and that on a day to day basis, I'm still seeing a lot of it, and um, it's been more on my radar, and I've been really feeling more like we really, really, really need to make sure that um, bitch is trans inclusive, and the work we do here is trans inclusive, and keep pushing on this issue um, to try and uh, change the minds and reach out to those people who consider themselves feminists but don't want to support transgender people in their identities so that's the big thing i've learned this year is both that uh i've gotten more empathetic as i've gotten older and also within that recognizing this the real depths of transphobia that are still persist that actually leads into like an, uh, one of the other things that i wrote down about things that i've learned is that um like as feminists like uh, i really learned how to like quote show up 
you know, for other people. Mm-hmm. Um, so like a- as a person of color, I are, you know, within like communities of color, we oftentimes say that like ra- racism isn't a thing that like we have to solve. It's a thing that like white people have to solve because mm-hmm. we're not the ones like perpetuating hate, like um, communities, the uh, white dominant communities that have been like oppressive to communities, of colors are, are they, they're the ones that have the problem. We don't have a problem. Right. And I think that like um, with transphobia, like as a cis person, I need to show up like um, I don't I mean, I, I completely value like the voices, trans voices um, and and think that like like they're doing that the trans community has, has been has done an enormous job a job in terms of like educating cis folks but also as cis people like it is our responsibility to like talk amongst ourselves and be like what the fuck is our problem mm-hmm. and like how how are we letting like this um transphobia like flourish the way it is and i think that like that's like, like you, you pointed out about the work that we do at bitch um we try to amplify you know trans voices or like other marginalized voices and and like as a cis person I, I think it's really important to to often think about um, how, how gender identity intersects with our feminism and like and how do we show up for other people who are being marginalized by that um, and and to like think like more broadly about it and I, I also wrote down the thing about um about being an editor and how like um, I'm like continually thinking about how to be more inclusive, uh, not just in like the topics that we write about, like the shows that we are highlighting or the work that we're highlighting, um, but also about like who is writing about that work um, because those voices are so valuable and they bring in new perspective. Um, so like for me to show up, I think about um, how I can show up for black folks because I'm a non-black person of color, um, how I can show up for trans folks, um, how I can like highlight voices that are, um, are have been historically marginalized. And I, I think that like, you know, even if in your daily life, you're not like an editor um, or in a position where you can like uplift other voices to do things like this, I, I think that we can like do it <coughs> in it sounds cheesy, but like in an interpersonal way, you know, um, by showing that like, like, uh, I, I am thinking about these issues and, um, and when you're in my company, uh, if you're going to see something fucked up, I'm going to call you out on it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one way to show up. Okay. So the second thing I've been thinking about and learned this year is I've been thinking a lot about masculinity and I watched this really great film, um, by the representation project called The Mask You Live In that's an analysis of masculinity and culture and how um, a lot of the, the way that we socialize boys can lead to uh, violence, can lead to uh, a feeling of, of isolation and, and alienation. And then I was talking to uh, an, uh, this, this political writer who we just hired a bitch to start writing about the election in, in January. And um, he said he was talking about raising his son. And then the message that he constantly tells his son is that the stronger you are, the more gentle you must be. And that line has just been running through my head for the last couple of weeks where I've been thinking about the stronger you are, the more gentle you must be. And I think about that both in terms of talking about masculinity and lessons to boys, but just in terms of what power I have, you know, in situations where I'm stronger, I'd be more gentle in situations where I have more power. How can I make sure that I'm being as, as non-intimidating and as um, welcoming as possible in those situations? So that also works like if you frame it as like privilege, mm-hmm. you yeah, know? Yeah. Yeah. Like what, what, what privilege do I have and how can I use it to help like a marginalized a community or somebody who's like dealing with something um, if it's happening, you know, um, in front of me? But like, like how, how do I, how do I interrogate my privilege and how do I use it 
to uplift other people. Yeah, I think it really relates to that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so my, the last thing, I mean, I've, I've learned so many things, but the show can only be so long. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the last thing that I learned and what, it's not so much that I learned, but I have to like remember and prioritize is to do self-care. Oh, yeah. Uh, especially okay. for like our work, because um, in our work, we read so much awful awful stuff or we read about so much awful stuff um and we have to deal with like and, and we have to know and deal with about like such awful oppressive like legislation um interpersonal bullshit uh, awful representation in pop media uh, pop culture um so i think in our work like we can really get bogged down about this and uh one of the things that i'm like trying to practice is like to understand that like i can't do it all and to know that i have limits to what i can take in mm-hmm. and that it isn't I mean, I, I do hold myself to a certain responsibility, but I also have to take care of myself so I can continue to do it. Um, there's that piece. And then also to respect that, like, not everyone is on, like, the same page uh, as me and how they do the, their social justice work. So maybe, like, their self-care uh, means that, like, they're not going to engage in a certain thing, and I have to respect that. Um, therefore, I would I would hope that folks would respect me when I don't want to engage in certain things. Because there's, like, definitely a wall where I'm, like, I'm done engaging and I'm done... I, it, you know, and I also have a privilege of being like, I, I don't want to learn about this anymore. Cause mm-hmm. It's so fucking horrific. Um, but, you know, like it, this is this is like a this is a long fight and it's tiresome. And if we don't take the time to like step out of this and um, take care of ourselves, like interpersonally, um, then we can't do this work. My friend made this cross stitch, you know, like, like a little embroidery mm-hmm. thing that says this is work that never ends. And. I resonate with that so much. I hung it up in my house because I'm like, this is work that never ends. Uh, so you have to carve out space to take care of yourself because you, you could try and work 100 hours a week on these things and it would still never end, you know? I, so you have to be like, okay, I'm going to cut off at some point and sleep and eat and drink some tea and take care of myself and have fun with my friends so, so that I can have the energy to keep working on this because it's work that never ends. You, you can't just pour yourself into it 1,000% every day. <laughs> that resonates. Okay, so the third thing that I was thinking about that I learned this year as a feminist um, is I think I've learned a lot about how to politely defend um, groups and call people out for being uh, sort of closed-minded on them. I've been doing... Uh, I've been trying to do more of that this year. And the thing that comes to mind is thinking about, especially when I'm talking to like my friend's parents or some older people uh, who are talking about the youth of today. And I just remember, I really distinctly remember having this conversation with my friend's parents where uh, they were like old school 1970s socialists. And they were like, what happened to, to kids today? Like, why, why aren't kids, why aren't young people political anymore? You know, and having to step back from that and be like, okay, how am I going to explain this without, uh, without, you know, a- alienating this person, um, but also by, by being accurate and being honest and being compassionate. And so, um, you know, I talked about, I, I think I was able to talk pretty well about how young people are political these days, uh, and they are just engaged in, in politics in a different way than your generation. You might not recognize it. And same, same thing with, with other things that young people are doing that, that other people don't get so like uh using social media i can't tell you how often i hear about you know older people saying like all these like like what's what social media it's useless and i have to be like well actually it's a really great political organizing tool and it's a way for people to connect with communities that are similar to theirs and like 
it's really special and feels really powerful to see other people who are like you and, and you can connect with them on social media. So yeah, we're using Instagram a lot and yeah, we're using Twitter a lot, but that's, it can be a positive thing and can help us forge connections. It's not just like a waste of time. So I think I've really tried to learn about getting better at talking about those kinds of issues. <laughs> Maybe that can be like a goal for me to learn in 2016, like to be polite when I'm calling people out because I uh, I go from like just chilling to rage. Yeah. And yeah. I, I actually have to like I do this thing where like I take in a breath and I I try to talk in a really even tone and a little bit sounds like I'm a robot, but it's like I'm speaking in even tone right now so that I don't raise my voice or get angry in any way that makes the person like shut down and not listen to you so instead i'm like hello (laughs) (laughs) we talked about this on the thanksgiving podcast and you're like how do i how do i deal with like uh having to be at gatherings where i I will probably disagree with somebody yeah i have to actively make sure i don't raise my voice um or say something that could that could um make make the person who's listening just shut down and be like oh i'm not listening to you you know you're too angry Right. I, I'm a I'm a scoot my chair back, stand up and walk out of the room kind of person. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I can't. I just I, I'm unable to engage productively, I think. So maybe that's something I'll, I will try to learn something to work on. Yeah. Are there <laughs> YouTube tutorials for this? <laughs> OK, we want to talk about things we learned specifically from pop culture this year. Um, did you want to start or should I? Uh, whichever. I, I, I kind of want to start. I'm like on a roll. OK, um, <laughs> the first thing I learned was from. Uh, one of my favorite TV shows, How to Get Away with Murder, Viola Davis plays the uh, character Annalise Keating on that show. And on that show, um, Annalise Keating is like a powerhouse professor of criminal law and uh, is super tough, super smart, tells everybody what to do. And then also uh, has a lot of emotional breakdowns and cries on most episodes. And that is a really good lesson for me that like it's okay to cry. And that you can be super tough and super badass and then also be really emotional and vulnerable and like burst into tears sometimes. And uh, so I think that's that's the lesson from that show is it's okay to cry. It means you can be a smart, tough, awesome um, person and still cry. It also helps that like Viola Davis is such an incredible actor. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's like I, I I can't imagine anything she can't do. She's so good. <laughs> I, I want her to be my auntie. <laughs> um, one of the pop culture things that I discovered uh, that I, and I learned from this year is poetry. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've I've not been interested in poetry like ever. Cause I, it, a lot of it's like very esoteric to me, and I don't get it. I don't understand like like the the forms or like all the different techniques and everything. Um, but shout out to um, Kundiman, this uh, Asian American Fellowship writing retreat that I went on this year, where half of the fellows were poets, and and like just being exposed to them and their work, I, I like I I just discovered this appreciation for poetry. Um, and and like the beauty of it and how poetry is able to uh, put into words and express like sometimes very visceral feelings with just a few stanzas. It's so incredible. Um, uh, like one of the, my favorite poems that I've just read recently is by this poet uh, Hanif Abdur-Rakib. And um, it's a poem called All of the Black Boys Finally Stopped Packing Switchblades. And 
and in this poem, it I don't think it's more than like two or three hundred words, if even that. You know, uh, he's able to like pack in like examining like punk rock being black in a dominant white space um that's like theoretically supposed to be counterculture uh and like police violence like in this little poem that and it and it, it like punched me in the gut you know just like little things like that to be able to examine all that without like a you know an 1800 word essay it's i think it's such an incredible art form um and, and like i i think that like for folks if if, if you really just want to like experience something that's like uh beautiful and artistic but also like um be able to like uh, look under or, or look under like beneath the words for subtext it's just such a beautiful experience go poetry yeah next time i'm gonna get you into comic books oh okay good luck with that okay <laughs> <laughs> Okay, the second thing I really learned from pop culture is uh, I was really moved by by Ta-Nehisi Coates' book about, uh, called Between the World and Me. And really the message that he reiterates in that book really profoundly um, is that the system in the United States isn't broken. That the system is, is functioning and it's built by white people to keep white people in power. Um, and that's just uh, reiterated throughout the book. And I think that's a good reminder because I, I keep being like, you know, oh, this this is broken, this is screwed up, this isn't working, and it's it's a really powerful reminder to be like, no, it was built this way, and, and it's functioning the way that it was built, and uh, that's really screwed up, so. Yeah, because, like, it, in this piece, does it, uh, I mean, like, we often talk about, like, uh, the enslavement of, of black folks as the, quote, original sin, hmm. you know, and I was thinking about that today, I, I was thinking about how, like, even the framing of, of that as being the original sin, kind of sounds quaint you know like like we have restaurants in town like the original taco house or like the original pancake house but like this framing of like like this quaint original thing that we did it, it isn't like a, a quaint it's like a it's a historically violent and uh uh awful uh like act that we perpetuated on like like this entire population of people and like for me like uh, as being a child of immigrants you know i i feel complicit in it as well because i benefited from the this uh, unpaid labor um that you know that helped to build this country and and i think that in in the examination that Coates does is that like he highlights that like um you know this original sin it, it's 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 not original number one uh in that like it, it's it's the only one it cause, because it's it continues to this day mm -hmm. yeah and that's that's another big message of his in the book is that not only is the system not broken it's functioning the way that it's supposed to and it's going to keep functioning that way uh because we white people um continue to perpetuate that and allow it to do that and so um that's a really strong message to to carry forward and think about yes so on that note, I wanted to talk about my uh, one of my last favorite pop culture things that I learned from uh, is comedy <laughs> and like poetry I, and comedy, yeah, huh? and comedians and how like you know we need to laugh because sometimes um, things are so dark and awful that like we need to take our mind off of stuff. But not just like any rando comedian, you know, like. Um, uh, comedians I I often seek out like comedians that kind of have like share my same worldview like I really love W. Kamau Bell, um, Hari Kondabolu, Jenny Yang, um, Sharla Loriston um, and then there's always Aziz Ansari uh, and Brittany Nichols and there's this podcast The Read with Crystal and Kid Fury I mean they're hilarious but they also do like really great insightful um, 
takes that pop culture. I, I think that like we need to celebrate the folks who can make us laugh at really tough topics. Cool. I love that list of comedians. That's yeah, great. like literally check them all out. <laughs> They're amazing. <laughs> okay, so the last thing I learned from pop culture this year is I was thinking a lot about um, our discussion of Project Greenlight and Effie Brown on the show and the white guy director on that show, as well as thinking about uh, statistics around um, hiring of women in Hollywood and systemic discrimination against uh, women and specifically women of color in Hollywood. And it got me thinking that I should approach the world with the confidence of a mediocre white man. Mm. Because on that show, on Project Greenlight, there's just this white guy who's like, whatever, I'm a brilliant visionary genius and I'm going to make this movie. And his movie sucks. And I'm like, I never put myself out there like that. I'm never like, yeah, I know what I'm doing 100%. I've got a vision. Let's do it. And so I think it's, uh, I think it's both, it's, that's just not my style. I like to listen to other people and take in their feedback and sort of think about all the reasons, like all the other smart people who are smarter than me in the world that I can learn from. But I think it's also a valuable lesson to say like, hey, you should like you can approach like if, if you don't approach the world this way, mediocre white guys are going to keep taking every single position. So the least I can do is uh, is present myself as confidently as they do. And we did. A, I did a whole podcast episode on being an expert in dealing with imposter syndrome. Um, and something I'm really trying to do now is to just uh, appreciate the things that I'm good at and and own them. And not say like, and not, you know, when somebody gives me a compliment, be like, oh, actually, I'm not that good. I kind of suck. There's a lot of people who are smarter than me. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that quote as being like, uh, like, God grant me the confidence of a mediocre white man. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> because like, uh, I think that just because of the way we're raised and in, in our culture, like um, there are some people who have just been uh, imbued with this like unearned confidence mm -hmm. and um, and we need to take some of that back mm -hmm. uh, and, and celebrate our work you know, and, and our voices and the things that we do. And, and, and it's like such an indictment on like who we are as a culture. You know, when we say things like that, like, Hey, if only I had the confidence of a mediocre white guy, because then that just says a lot about like who, who is actually being heralded as being successful and in their positions of power and leadership. Um, and, and why are they there? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess, you know, it's really hard for me to think like, I don't really want to be a mediocre white guy. I mean, guy, I don't want to. I mean, they, I think there's lots of lessons. I think there's lots of things not to do like like the mediocre white guys do. But to at least present yourself, at least to say, you know what? I'm good at this. I'm good at this thing. I'm good at this thing. I know a lot about this thing. And I'm going to I'm going to put that forward and say, you know what? I know these things and I'm talented in these ways. And I have these skills um, rather than diminishing them or or putting myself down or thinking, oh, I'm not good enough to do this job that I'm extremely qualified for. I bet there's somebody else because that somebody else who comes in there is going to be a mediocre white guy who's like, oh, yeah, of course I got the skills. Oh, yeah, bro. You know what? We can revise that as editors. We're going to revise that quote to be uh, something along the lines of like, um, uh, I understand and know that I am better than a mediocre white guy <laughs> and I will show it. I will I will act that I understand. I know this right to acknowledge that we actually do have more skills and ability. Yeah. Yes. Well, I guess that wraps up this uh this year and wrap up of our amazing show oh yay well yeah. hey we wanted to play a song to play at the last show of the year and uh we 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 talked about playing a song that we both really loved from this year that came out in 2015 um amy do you want to uh reveal what the song is that we're gonna play yes it's la luz yes it's it's the band la luz from seattle love them uh they, they released this album this summer called weirdo shrine 
that kind of sounds like garage surf rock. Yeah, it's super dreamy. It's dreamy. Uh, this song is called Disappear. It's our collective favorite song of the year. Um, let's listen to it. Thanks so much for listening to Back Talk all year long. And here's to an amazing Thanks for listening to Backtalk. This podcast is hosted by Sarah Merck and Amy Lamb from Bitch Media. The show is produced by Alex Ward. Bitch Media is entirely supported by thousands of folks like you, not some big corporation or a deep-pocketed donor with a hidden agenda. If you love tuning in each week, please pitch in at bitchmedia.org podcast. And be sure to mention Propaganda or Backtalk when you donate. Thanks so much. <laughs>